0: Hey, it's Tia Carrere, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys!
1: Oh my nose, right? Uh,
2: yeah, then what, I got my movies. That's how we start the podcast. I'm <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so if i to keep that in welcome to kino kingdoms <laughs> 74 i've got i've got like a summer cold i feel totally fine but it's just my in my nose i think it's from just playing so much bad golf over the weekend yeah. <laughs> um, so i i'm creeping back up in films I, I was a bit slack for a while but i've watched through well i've watched three and a half <coughs> uh three and a half, Make a and I, 33 and a third Oh my god, yeah, and, th- and then a film that's got like a quarter in the subtitle somehow with a with a, an exclamation mark. We were talking last, was it on the last episode about how Spanish people have um, uh, like yeah. po- like exclamation marks at the start, so you know to be yeah. excited as you read it. Yeah. I mentioned that. I mentioned that to someone at work, and they were like, oh, "That's really clever." And I said, "I know, because it's not it's not like." And then she pulled out a again, and you are like, "Oh no!" I was... Oh, then she pulled out a again. Yeah. Hey,
2: yeah, you, a, you you know, know there's it, excitement all the way know, through the sentence.
1: Yeah, it's such a they're Spanish, they've got it down to a T. If only yeah, they made yeah. decent wine, if only they made decent wine. <laughs> oh, it's,
2: bloody the, be obvious. it's the last
1: piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm on the four winemakers Malbec tonight. It's uh, quite a nice light malbec for anyone interested. Mm-hmm. Um I was thinking about this. I have you got with with the with the podcast report, you know, we're coming up mm-hmm. to episode seventy five. Mm-hmm. Have you have you got like a, a ritual like for me? I, I I like to be, you know, a nice glass of wine sitting around my and try to keep my cat out of the way the microphone like i'm doing now but uh, have you got like a little ritual or something like a certain hat you wear or a certain condom you put on or anything
2: <laughs> not particularly no uh I, though i am in fact yes sitting in my pants because it is warm it is warm isn't it <laughs> i'm not michael fish <laughs> but it, it is warm michael <laughs> Such a specific reference to a long retired and possibly dead weatherman.
1: Come on, uh, yeah, that's I. I, re, I know we have American listeners as well. Uh, my, yeah, a weatherman. I, I get Michael that.
2: Fish was the one who got it wrong about the nineteen eighty seven hurricane. I seem to remember. He said, "Oh no, the weather's going to be absolutely fine. It's going to be balmy night." You, the first actual hurricane. St-
1: When you when you type his name in the first thing you see is you he needs to go to an orthodontist and say yours money sort this out. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, he is still alive. Uh, uh, Oh, it's seventy nine. nine. Yeah, that's fresh out the oven. Yeah, controversy. Yeah, you're right. Actual huge uh, entry on Wikipedia about it. So
2: on October fifteenth, nineteen eighty seven, he said during a forecast. Earlier on today, apparently a woman rang the BBC and said she'd heard there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. As in, there is not. And yet it was the worst storm to hit England for three centuries. And it killed <laughs> 19 centuries. people. Yeah, it killed 19 people. Dead. Bloody hell.
1: Yeah, he got that one wrong. Yeah.
2: Probably, probably not going to blame him personally
0: for
1: for that particular disaster, but there you go. Do they? I just assume that, like a, the the weather people, just were sort of just you know reading cue cards. But they're actually meteorologists, are they? That I do all the research. So the research.
2: I suspect they must have some kind of uh, qualifications. I guess I'm not going to go through the Wikipedia page for Michael Fish and find yeah, out his qualifications. I, yeah, probably yeah, not I that he's, riveting.
1: He's, he's definitely got an O level of woodwork. Yeah, I don't know that. I'll put him in. <laughs> so, have, have you got any themes this week, Rupert, or, or are you just have you just got a load of trash? Ah, just got a load of a load of shash. I mean,
2: I have got <laughs> a load of patsy. I've got. I did watch a film, an older film, and then its remake, so I can compare them directly. So that's interesting. Well, but the last.
1: I think the last time that happened on the podcast was with assault on precinct 13. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much I obviously I enjoyed yep. uh, the original more, but he I think it's just Ethan. Oh, or- he's in the bar. Yeah. He's in the Arkins bar. He's me. Yeah. Um, and he and he's the kind of guy that would be in the bar, and I said I'll have a drink, Ethan. And then he and he will so say when, and he's pouring like a bourbon into like a rocks glass. And I say when, and he's like laughing. and pouring it to the top, yeah. And then and then he like laughs, and as he hands me the drink, which is like swilling over the top, like Eddie Murphy and the Golden Child walking across that rope bridge, which I need to rewatch. He says <laughs> and after that we'll kiss.
0: I <laughs> glug it. If you it
2: ever get round to kissing <laughs> him, though, because I've seen the before trilogy. And Ethan Hawke can talk. He just talks and talks and talks. So I don't think you'd ever get down to it.
1: Well, he just talks. Well, there'd be no kissing. No. I'd probably distract him. You'd, you'd
2: end up walking around the streets of Paris or wherever our bar is all night, just talking until the sun came up.
1: Uh, where, is, where is the Arken's bar? This is a new twist of oh, things.
2: Yeah. Is it in the location where Patrick
1: Swayze's roadhouse was? No, it's not that kind of like rough and tumble. That's too, too spitting sawdust. For that, the think. line of that film where he sees that guy just like having really like sort of crass sex, and that, you're gonna be my regular Saturday night thing, baby. It's like, oh dear, that's not very nice. <laughs> uh, uh, I, 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 the bit in that film where Sam Elliott kicks. I think it's the wrestler, uh, yeah, Terry, Terry Funk, and then Ian he goes, "Hurts like hell, don't it?" It's such a cool like, line. Yeah, it's like yes, it does, and that's what he <laughs> says to him. It actually,
2: it really did. He did,
1: because really? if you remember, uh, he turns around and rubs his knee and says, yeah, what you've done is you kicked my knee in a direction that's not meant to bend, which is sideways, <laughs> so he did, and, and, and then it cuts the Sam out oh, okay, all right, okay. He's <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so it's broken, and it's, and it's probably going to give me a permanent limp." and then and then you hear, action, and they go back to the fighting. <laughs>
2: um, uh-huh. Yes, yeah, so perhaps not in the location where Roadhouse was, but let's, let's give it some thought, maybe... Maybe, maybe list- can point out, yeah, can point yeah, out list- a spe- very specific the street. Bar.
1: Uh yeah, a street or uh perhaps a what are they called? A um, uh what are those things called with a dead end in them? Cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac, yeah. No, I think it would be it Paris is because nice when I think of when mm. you say Paris and I think of bars, I think about um uh what's it called? After midnight? One of my it's one of my favourite Woody Allen films. Yes, the one, we'll yes, one with no,
2: yeah.
1: I love that film um, <laughs> moving on from where the bar is or oh, if you do want to you know, let us know where the Arkansas bar is, uh, send an email to uh, the men who talk at Um and again I do apologise for my needless needless summer cold uh, my brother Transvaal sent me a picture of the new Expendables film which I assumed was coming I, and I will always watch them I will always watch an Expendables film which uh, number is this? This is four, uh, and okay. you know it's four because it's called expend Formals. They've done it. They've done it. Exactly. Hang on. The four.
2: Wh- where? Which letter does the four pl- expend? D- four, you four? Are you sick? Are you? Oh, so oh, so the, the A, a it's the A. Yeah. Right. Because um, I'm looking when I'm <laughs> looking at it in lower case, and I'm thinking nothing looks like a four.
1: Uh. <laughs> Nothing looks like a four. That's the Listen. title of the. <laughs> uh,
2: I've never seen any shape in real life that looks like a four. Um, okay, so capitals. The four is where the A is, right? Got
1: it. Excellent. Yeah, expend four And expend my brother sent me. He just sent me a picture of, and if people go on Wikipedia, they'll see this. It just sent me a picture of the poster, and it's called Expend Four Balls, and the tagline is, "They'll die when they're dead," and my brother his suffix on his message to me was that's how death works. <laughs> and it really, it really tickled me because the thing, when you see these things, you can imagine they would have been, especially this is a hundred million dollar film. So there'd have been so many people in that room. And someone said, how oh, about this? They'll die when they're dead. Uh, no one thought <laughs> that is just a statement of what happens when you pass away. Does it's it not a clever mean, plan, words.
2: No, it was, it could almost mean that they're going to die a second time, in fact, after having died once. So once they're dead, they're going to die again, which, to be honest, doesn't sound particularly heroic, I've got to say. I mean, you fail to live once, and then it happens again. Like, not one death isn't enough. You're just going to die again. Or maybe it's suggesting that they're just all so old that it might as well be The Walking Dead, so...
1: They'll die when they're dead makes me think, now that you've phrased it that way. Yeah, like Randy, at some point in the film, Barney Ross is going to get shot dead, like headshot dead. Mm-hmm. And, Ran, Ran, and Lee Christmas is kneeling down, Jason Statham next to him. And then Randy Kutcher would say, oh my God, he's dead. And then Lee Christmas would say, you think that's bad? He's going to die now and it's like well no I thought he was dead he's like yeah he's gonna go through again. this
2: again yeah that's he's, not the end of it
1: in limbo and then he's like oh I'm dead and he's in this sort of uh, maybe maybe walking towards paradise with the pearly gates Saint Peter is that the one at the pearly gates and then and he's like oh my god I'm finally in heaven and Saint Peter will go da, 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 da. and then he'll pull out a gun and shoot him again <laughs> And then he'll get up again and so say, right, now you can come in because you've died after you're dead.
2: You see, I would watch an Expendables movie where they actually do all die and then they have to, like, shoot their way out of purgatory. Have a, have a really weird existential fantasy twist on it. I'd watch Wasn't that. that.
1: I believe that that was the premise of the game Painkiller on the PC in 2001. Or 5, I forget. Uh, it's a dark days for PC, the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so if you get the <laughs> to work, the DMA IRQ. Um, yeah. So Expendables 4, they'll die when they're dead or more specifically, the film will release on, in September. So I will watch that with my eyes. Um, I, did, I wanted to say as well, um, I was a witness to the Savalas the other day. Uh, Faye popped on. She was looking for a new show and she put on a show called Inside Man. Not that one. Nice. Uh, this is a TV show, not the movie, and it's Sir David Tennant, and I really like David Tennant from a. Sh- he, he was in an episode of a show called Criminal or Criminal Mind. <clears throat> I watched it a few years ago, uh, where he plays someone. just, it's. I don't know if you remember this. I think we may have covered it on the podcast. It was. I think it's called Criminal. It's a show where it's set in interrogation rooms, but throughout the world. So you had one in America, one in Britain, one in like Spain, one in Brazil, and it was all mm-hmm. in the interrogation room and around it. And it was just, it was a really sort of mechanical. Uh, narrative like sort of a dialogue driven plot and he and i think his wife has died and, and they're trying to get him to kind of confess to it and it's it's basically an hour of someone slowly breaking down and having holes poked in their alibis and i watched it and thought well oh god i didn't realize david tennant was was like this intense. it's really awesome mm. this came on and i was and I was sitting there don't laugh. This came on and I thought, oh, I was, I'd was. probably doing like an article or something, writing, you know, one of my, or like weaving one of my tapestries or whatever, or doing one of my beautiful paintings that makes everyone weep when they look at it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I was sort of watching it and I was really intrigued and then I realised that I thought, "No, oh, this is, this is actually really irritating because what it is, it's like a really kind of hokey premise set up and every character is quirky. Uh and, and it really, it really got on my nerves. So, the premise, right? Of the whole film is. Uh, oh, so so. If, what I'll do is I'll. I'll tell you the direct premise, and then I'll and then I'll spread out to the characters, which are the problems for me. Sure. So the, the effectively a vicar, is, has someone working for him like a young I say young a guy in his thirties David Tennant's the vicar. Someone gives him a. Uh, like a what are they called? Like a pen drive, and says, "Oh, I, I don't hide this from my mum. She, you know, there's porn on it. I don't want it to see it." And he's kind of like a mummy's boy in his thirties. And David Tennant's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, for God's sake, okay." And he takes it home, and somehow his son's his teenage son's maths teacher uses it to try and transfer some files, and it's it's, it's child porn. And through a really stupid turn of events, mm-hmm. and he, to try and save his son and this guy, he just says, "Oh, it's mine," and he gets embroiled in this like ridiculous situation where he has to hide he's trying to like keep this woman in his basement while he tries to sort it out kind of um, himself? this seems convoluted yeah. but okay but i'm willing to explain the problems if you if, if you'll indulge me um, Sh- sure i mean i can spot a couple of narrative issues already but go yeah. on then. so every character is like seriously quirky in a way that no one in the real world is this is created by Stephen moffat and i know that name i'm looking at it now it's directed by paul mcguigan i don't know if those names ring a bell with anyone um so david Tennant is oh, paul mcguigan a boxer uh, barry mcguigan oh, barry i used to I I say in general and this is something that rupert yeah. knows but when i was a teenager barry mcguigan was like my dad's favorite boxer and he would like talk about him with like real reverence and i had a continuing series of dreams where I'd wake up or I want to my dream and look at the end of my bed and Barry McGuigan in his boxing regalia would be dancing between two panes of glass. So it would be, but the two panes of glass are really close together. So he's it's like, <laughs> and he's like dancing and smiling as if it's like he's dancing on a dance floor and it, it went on for months. It was a such a bizarre like reoccurring dream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> i wish i'd have it again now because i'd like laugh at it and think i oh, brilliant yeah memories um so david tennant is a is a vicar and he's like a really overly friendly vicar you know he's, he's like happy kind of one of the guys happens to be a vicar but he'll help anyone out and then stanley tucci is someone called jefferson grief who's a criminology professor on. on on death row who get, gets people in uh because he he can basically solve any crime just from without like even leaving his jail cell because he can read Mm -hmm. people so well and obviously he's got someone sitting next to him who's got a photographic memory that remembers everything everyone says Um, So Sammy Tucci's on death row? She's murdering his wife um, but then but then the kind of chubby prison guard lets people come in and visit him so we can solve their crimes sort of thing, which yeah, just sounds, sounds like, like it. it just sounds like a forced-in series of novels from another director. It, it just sounds like the whole Lee Child thing, if you know what I mean? It just yeah. seems like a Lee Child idea. Um, Dolly Wells is a maths teacher who takes everything at absolutely face value, and she, if someone says, oh, do you want to for a cup of tea? She says, no, I don't actually, and she's so direct that she kind of offends people, but she's very straight-laced, the son okay. is overly sarcastic, the mother is kind of an absent minded, sort of dithering golfer, and and every character you meet is they're just defined by their quirks, not they're defined uh, they're by the quirks, It's not like characters, right? Yeah, it's just like, oh, that person can do this, just basically, so this puzzle can work together. And the way yeah. it works is so the, the main the, 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 the scene that kind of made me think I'm not, and it's only four episodes, and I fancy Stanley Tucci, he's in the Arkansas bar, mm-hmm. but the scene that so the, if you might, I'm trying to get this right, so they turn up in the house, uh, David Tennant, you, you see the, the overbearing mother come in and, and like, sort of berates her 30-year-old son, like, hitting him, saying, where is it, you dirty boy, where is it? And I always, I always get really, I, uh, very weird feelings about child porn. Just, I find it, like, horrendous. So I always find it especially weird best, when someone's someone's troubled with it but then they've got a mother like hitting them saying where is it you dirty boy it just there's like levels of filth and abuse there that I don't like it um so that happens and then uh David Tennant goes home and he puts his keys in the bowl she needs to log on the internet Uh, the son says I'll use this and she puts it in and it's child porn but we all we can see is her looking at it if you know I mean looking we're looking at the back of the thing and then she goes, oh my goodness, and then the son comes in and because he's, he's so quirky and just so sarcastic, he comes in he's like, oh yeah it's porn, it's mine, and uh, oh it's loads of porn, you've found my porn and then the father, David Tennant comes in and he's like, come on, stop saying that, so he, the boy leaves, and she says this is child porn, and then David Tennant goes around and looks at it and goes, oh I can explain and she's like, where did you get this, and he's like, oh it's not my son's it's not my son's, but I, but I can't tell you and then there's a flashback to when the guy in the vicarage gives him gives him the pen drive. He's mm. got self self-harm marks up his arm. Mm. And and so basically the, he ends up saying, Oh, I, I can't explain, but just give it back to me. And they get into a fight, she hits her head, he bundles her into the basement, and that's the end of the first episode. But Jesus. I thought I thought David Tennant in that moment should have thought, right? Instead of thinking, Oh, if I tell if I basically tell on that guy He's going to harm himself. What he should have thought: I'm not a religious man. I'm not a religious man, and I don't fully understand uh, Catholicism or Christianity. But surely, as a man of as a man of of the cloth, you <laughs> um, would say he should have said two seconds and just thought, right, that man needs help, and he he is getting off on the abuse of children. So I can't mm. let that go on. I can't let that go on. I have to bring it to light. He needs help. So what I should do is explain myself clearly to this woman. Yeah. Not, not cover up for him and then just get that man help get him yeah. away from his and, and, and do it that way as yeah. opposed to panicking i'd say possibly expired. by
2: social services or something like that so you get yeah. him it says if you don't want to him into the police there are options aren't there you can stop yes. and think.
1: and i just thought this feels like a puzzle that someone has put together and if the pieces don't fit they just Forced them in they just forced characters to do and say certain things so the, the main thruster there was probably a twist at the end like works and it, have you ever had that where you watch if you watch sunset overdrive it's an xbox game but everyone was so quirky and so desperate to please me as a player that i thought oh, i can't i can't put up with any of you you're all yeah. like you said. you put it perfectly they're all defined by their quirks they're not three-dimensional characters they're not real people and it's so plain it's plain plain as the nose on your face rupert
2: yeah, well it, it's quite obvious when that happens in like a, a movie or whatever then that what's clearly happened is that someone's written it with each of the characters as serving a function in the narrative and then almost like overlaid on top of that character a quirk to make them look like an actual human being rather than just a function if you see what i mean. Yeah. So it one... it's it, it is ca- it's like a quirk in lieu of actual character, isn't it?
1: The closest thing, if I, if, if I would say the mirror, the, 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 the clear, better reflection of that would be in something like The Glass Onion or, you know, mm. th- those, those two films where, you know, in the first one where Anna de Armas just gags every time she lies, you know, it's such a ridiculous thing, but it works because it is a clever plot and everyone is so good in it that you just, like, let it slide because it, it is so, it's just like yeah, a constantly and, twisting Rubik's yeah. Cube.
2: And her character has more going on other than that. Like than that, that is one a, thing. that is a quirk and it does serve a purpose, uh, like a function. But she's got other stuff going on, like you know. So yeah, that's bullshit. Um, Stephen Moffat also worked on Doctor Who and Sherlock. Oh,
1: cool. right. I believe Sherlock started well and took a turn as well. Okay. Actually, okay. I um it. So uh, yeah, so. I just wanted to say that um also uh our occasional co-host uh laszlo buckets hmm. sent in a delayed kk to the last one uh uh so you know i thought well, i can't let his uh his efforts go amiss so it was from annette benning to erica eleniak if you remember from the last one the last oh, episode yeah. uh this is just a little thing from laszlo he says oops missed it well it wasn't a one stepper Annette Benning was in The Siege with Tony Shaloub, who was in Men in Black with Tommy Lee Jones, who was in Under Siege with Erica Eleniak. So a nice three-stepper. Yeah. A nice three-stepper. There. It's just different. Yeah. Hey, so I, I like it when they're all different when, I, when they come in, I think, yes. And then, of course, if you want to enter the Arkansas or ask a question or send a picture of your bum, it's the men who talk on Outlook.com. Um, are we going to just talk about Treat Williams for a little bit? Oh, yeah.
2: That's sad, isn't it? He was any was he 71? 71 71 yeah. yeah he was not old enough was he? he died in a motorcycle accident I believe
1: but yes, yes and it, and it was it wasn't his fault it was the car's fault it's a real shame oh, really? because he he was like a really he's in the bar he, well he's he's in he's in the bar in heaven now he's looking down upon the bar yeah. um but I remember him from his work in the substitute okay um because that's it was one of those things that he he instantly, in the substitute to 1998 straight the DVD action crime thriller, Good. that was when I thought he had amazing hair I, in, the, in the '90s, with him and Andy Garcia, I had hair jealousy because I had really curly hair, and they had this like sort of sweeping, straight hair, thick mane. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when you think about um when you think about uh, Treat Williams, do yeah. anything was popped to mind for you? Like obviously De- yeah. dead heat
2: yeah, dead heat and deep rising for me. And I suppose oh. in terms of looks, he was almost—he's like the a cross between Kurt Russell and Walter Matthau in a way, in a kind of oh, with a
1: with a with a touch of Alec Baldwin along the way. <laughs> yeah,
2: but yeah. he had, but yes, he had—he uh, had star quality. I mean, you know he had charm, and yeah, he was just yeah, he was quality. It's a pity, yeah, because he was quite a big deal for a moment there in the nineties. But um, you well, can imagine like... him. You can imagine him getting, I don't know, he'd have one big, probably TV series role left in him. You know, like you've got kind of, I don't know, like Brian Cox in Succession or something, where it's like a kind of defining mm. role late in their yeah, career. Yeah. You can imagine Treat Williams having something like that late on, and he's not going to get the chance now, so that's sad. But uh, yeah, Dead yeah. Heat. Watch that again. I think we'll for, I mean, watch Ma- that again.
1: Mulholland falls I'll need to watch again as well. Yeah. That's got a that fantastic scene that it where Nick Nolte comes in acting drunk with Melanie Griffith and he talks and it's, it's so garbled that you as a viewer have no <laughs> idea what he's saying. It's fantastic. I think Nick Nolte's probably, he's probably had a drink in real life before. <laughs> I I, th- I think I saw him with a can of super lager outside, uh, outside John Menzies a few years ago. I'm going to watch the substitute two and three and Bull Holland falls again. I think, uh, but yeah, Trick Williams, we love you. Rest in peace. And it's just a shame. It's always a shame, especially mm. these, you know, the, the kind of unsung heroes from the '80s and '90s. You know, these yes. things happen, and just just a shame. So, Trick Williams is in the Arkans Bar in heaven, and we just wanted to give a little shout out to him. And but the other thing we wanted to give a little shout out to is last episode I was suggested movie rhyming Stephen Lang where you know you would come up with i thought people would just say like i can't i don't want to ruin anything but you know like you know slang Stephen lang that kind of thing yeah. but we got to one one is you and utah smith sent one in and i thought there's thought in this like I can't just <laughs> you're not you're not just reading this off off something so i just the other thing utah one of our regulars love him to bits uh and i know he always listens to our podcasts Drinking wine in a hot tub, which I I love the the, the image of. Um, he later on in the Donald Gleeson to to David Wenham Arkin uh, <laughs> I I wish I wish I had time this week to edit it because he tries to say he, he comes up with one and then he comes up with one with fewer steps in. So he sent me both and I'm going to play them both because it's like he tries to say Wenham but but it's like he's never seen the word before as it enters his mind and i was i was in i was listening back to his is like 30 second clips over and over because of the way it's like his brain just blocks the word whenum as he's saying it and it and the, the first time it's like it's like something it's like he's trying to say whenum and someone presses pause and the second time, it's like someone just like starts yanking the cassette in and out. So it's like, uh, uh, it, it's like he cannot say the words. And it really <laughs> I wish I could edit it into a song or something. But I'll do that later on. That's a treat for later in the in the program. Um,
2: so I'll do so I'll do Stephen for the Stephen Lang thing. Should we do one now and one later? Oh, OK.
1: So sh- shall I do, okay. do? Shall I do yours now or Utah Smith's now? Oh, it's up to you. I'm to- totally up to you. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do yours. So this is an example of, like, movie rhyming Stephen Lang, and this is from our, our very own uh, our beautiful host, Rupert. So here we go.
2: So after a heavy weekend, I had a touch of the Monday morning Tom Cruise and, frankly, a very dodgy Gene Kelly. I was so sick, I actually ended up spewing in the Sadie sink and blocked the pipes. So while I waited for the Amanda plumber, I had to go on Ms. Pac-Man and beat the high Julianne Moore, naturally, which made me feel a little bit Eddie better. But then the Christopher Plummer arrived and he was a complete joke, a total Clancy Brown. So I sent him on his Ava DuVernay and called someone else. The next Glenn Plummer was a true professional mind. He quoted me a really fair Tim Rice and did an excellent Alan Yentob all around. So I'm going to write him a blowing letter of Billy Blanks to thank him for unblocking our Wesley Snipes.
1: Purposefully did listen to that one. you were saying about got it earlier on. <sighs> <laughs> you said that to someone. Thank you so much for fixing my Wesley Snipes. What?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh dear. That's the Stephen Lang game.
1: So that is... Is an example of movie rhyming steven lang and we've got one from utah smith literally oh, i'm weeping absolutely weeping it just tickles me though whole... i because like i said i thought people would send like one example like you know wesley's night pipes but the fact that you both separately have kind of twisted into like an actual narrative, the actual narrative actual yeah the fact that you've got three actors called plumber and threw in a musician with eddie vedder oh my god that, that's made my evening in fact that's the end of the podcast <laughs> no, <laughs> um, See, we've got that. We've got that later on. We've got uh, U- Utah's uh, movie rhyming Stephen Lang as well. Uh, right. Okay. Stop crying now. Um, and it's with that Rupert that we're into the the meat and meat and potatoes of the podcast. We are yes. going to dive into the movies now. I've got three and a half to talk about. So, how many of you have got? I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm. Six. Okay, then you you, you kick off and, uh, okay. and- yeah.
2: Well. Um. Okay. Well, I'll kick off with a film called Under the Gun. Have you seen this? Oh, I'll have to have a look. Li- <sighs> I don't know when I describe I ju- it. Maybe all the springtime. I
1: I just want to sort of reiterate this to the listeners that we do this really sp- even when um I send Rupert notes about like the sort of layout of what we're going to talk about. We both don't mention the films. I have no so that's idea. Quite, yeah. So it's always nice to be spontaneous. I, I like that aspect of it. So this isn't nothing's really pre-planned So I just wanted to throw that out there.
2: This one is under the gun is on freebie. So this is my beginning of my odyssey on freebie, which is, of course, Amazon Prime's like free ad based uh, channel. So if you think about the stuff that is on Prime, like some of the barrel scraping (laughs) stuff that's on Prime, it's not even. It it doesn't even make it on the Prime. So anyway, so this is under the gun. It's a 1995 Australian
1: action movie this is the one that says richard norton i covered yes, this last year in the podcast yeah oh, i'm God, so happy yeah, I i'm you so happy we get to talk about this again
2: <laughs> good 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 so yes it's a shady businessman called frank who's played by richard norton and he owns a club called the boiler maker uh and he also own uh, owes some mobsters money and they're coming for him but he's just got to make it through the night basically and if he does he'll complete a million dollar sale of the business and be home free so it's i i thought it's It's the Carlitos Wayne knockoff, really uh, quite an enjoyable one as well. It's got yeah Richard Norton just scurrying around, trying to get his business in order, avoiding mobsters and cops and sometimes beating them up. Um, And then he wants to abscond from the whole thing. So everyone in this film is Australian. uh, And yet they seem to be putting half putting on American accents. Some even try and put on an Eastern European accent for some reason. Not quite clear why Uh, the club, Itself doesn't really look like a club.
1: It looks like a warehouse or yes, in fact, it does. a soundstage. But, and from, from memory as well, loads of tinsel everywhere, like silver tinsel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's being like
2: renovated as well. So it's almost like they couldn't really be asked to. Uh, he literally just went backstage somewhere. So anyway, he has Frank has this wife who clearly disapproves of him and who he clearly doesn't love or even like. And he's desperate to run away with her for some reason. Their relationship is absurdly like up and down across the course of the film, and it's like you never believe that they're right for each other. It's a bizarre Rupert, is situation. It, is it up
1: and down like a manic depressive on a trampoline? Yes. Um,
2: there is a bad guy in this movie who's so stupid that at one point he goes to throw a grenade at Richard Norton, but accidentally throws the pin instead of the grenade. Bloody That's hell! Um, the fight scenes are—they're uh, quite frequent and they are quite fun. I like I like there's a bit where Norton like beats someone up with a mop and bucket. That was quite fun. And there's a scene where he
1: sets fire to his own shoes to kick someone in the face. So okay. <laughs> can, can, can I jump in here for a second? The sure. reason because I remember this and I, I mentioned it when I when I covered this, covered it better. Um is that he, he is uh, from like stuff like Jim Carter in the 80s He is a fight choreographer So that's why exactly. they're so good And that's why the acting around it is so kind of hammy and weird But the, yeah. when it comes to the fight scenes They're quite inventive and fun Yeah, it's, it's like the choreography is
2: decent And there's minimal editing, nice clear medium shots No fussing around Yeah the um, mm-hmm. there's, there's, really, there's no gunfights until the very end It's all hand-to-hand combat In nice baggy fighting trousers So that's what we like <sighs> Uh, I know what you mean about the dialogue, though. There's this really weird, like, absurd, hard-boiled noir-type dialogue, which doesn't really fit the cheap neon aesthetic. But I kind of like that. At least they're trying something a bit different. And it has this quite appealingly goofy tone about it. It's not mean-spirited or grim. Partly because Richard Norton's character is so kind of, like, he's sort of exasperated, but also got a sense of humour throughout it. And... There isn't that grim misogyny that you often get in these sorts of films, so that's nice. Is, um, there,
1: is this here? Is it's natural coloring? It,
2: it is not. It's, uh,
1: is, it, it, is, it, is, it, is it
2: natural coloring, and is it held in place with any products? This
1: is a question. It, so there is product in us here. This is something we'll come across later on as well. Um,
2: yeah, I think it's it's not it's sort of a bit more complicated in terms of characters and events than your average nineties action film, but it's no deeper. And in some ways it's sillier and goofier. And that's why I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was an
1: enjoyable movie, ridiculous, but enjoyable. Uh, it's one of Richard Norton's rare leading roles. And that's mm-hmm. why it's kind, it's kind of like we have to, and um, i I mentioned this. I was going to it's an actor that pops up later in the, in this show, uh, in another film, but F- Philip Baker Hall, yeah. um, in in and I I will always champion this film whenever I get the chance. Hard Eight with Philip right. Baker Hall and uh, John C Reilly It's one of my favourite like sort of uh, low budget dramas. Is that Paul Thomas and, Anderson? Yes, it is. Yeah, And am with. It's, it's such a good film and with with Richard Norton. I first saw him in Jim Carter when I was a kid, and you, I wish he kind of was in more. Uh, like he's a great when when he comes up as a choreographer. Yeah. You, you know it's going to be good stuff, but he, he can carry these low budget action, but there's no reason why he wasn't just a massive Australian star in the nineties or eighties. There was, cause he can carry a film and of course he can choreograph it as well. And he's quite inventive and he's capable. He, yes.
2: He has, yeah, he has presence, you know, and he's got charisma. So it's pity really that he didn't do more, oh, but, um, him, but... but I will keep my peepers open because I enjoyed this. So yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm glad you did, but it is a ridiculous set because okay, I just remember yeah. them dancing, and it's just clearly like a massive way- <laughs> high-ceiling warehouse with like yeah. exposed pipes, and then they're just just like silver like t- tinsel <laughs> everywhere. So, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, like it's a 50s sci-fi film. Um, <laughs> it's so just suddenly you- walking
2: to this. It's like backstage on Logan's
1: Run or something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me know. Uh, let me know if you come up with uh, any any more golden. Uh, richard norton films I, i'm a big fan of richard norton and every time maybe, he pops be, up, maybe they got a whole suite of them on freebie i'll oh, oh, check it out God. i'm a big fan of freebie i think the 15 second yeah. adverts every three weeks are totally fine <laughs> um, can, can, am i okay to, to jump in with my next one just on
2: the subject of adverts yes you realize oh. how generous freebie is in terms of its adverts when you then switch over to channel four oh. where every I'd say every ten, fifteen minutes, there is there are four minutes of adverts. It's astonishing. It's, it is I, astonishing.
1: I I've recently sort of got back into wrestling and like podcasts and wrestling podcasts and ITV. I don't know if it's ITV two. I like I said, I, I generally I'm not I'm not being flippant when I say that I know it's a running a joke on the podcast, but I do not watch the Savalas. I don't. So when I'm when I'm like beset by adverts, I think, oh yes, I remember all this and. I watched like this, some wrestling on ITV2, AW, and the amount of adverts and it, it, it's, it's so it's just the same thing. It's like plumbers uh, uh, all the time, and it's like I don't care about like plumbing services. In plumber. Christopher Christopher Glenn they're fresh on <laughs> our minds and yet and they just eat away, they're like loading times it's like playing Kingdom Come Deliverance over and over again <laughs> kind of sitting there watching a bar go up I hate them I hate it's like them. opening
2: but, a door in Skyrim on the PS3
1: it's like opening a door in Resident Evil on the PS1 um, so uh, yeah this is a film that I watched. I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but I watched this film with with Faye years ago and I said to her, I am going to watch this many times in my life. Uh, much like Van Helsing, I will happily rewatch all the time and um, Dog Soldiers, I will happily watch because I love, I love werewolves. This is a film that at the moment is free hang on i'm gonna i always forget to do this and i get told off by my brother for not saying where this is because i really hope that people watch this because it's a great british horror film so hang on let me just just watch Where do we watch it it is right it's free on plex filmsy and waft free and i paid two quid for it on amazon because i didn't give a hoot and i wanted to watch it and this is howl not the alan ginsburg seminal poem <laughs> uh but but yeah, how British horror film uh, directed by Paul Hyatt starring and uh, these names are people that like Ed Spielers, uh and there's another character in here that I really just thought should have been in many, many more films. I think it might be Duncan Preston. But Ed Spielers, uh, does that name ring any really bells to you? It does, yeah. I think I'll have to see a picture of him. He's been around. Well, it, might for be, a bit. It, it might be Spiliers, but um, I'm just having a look at what he was in. Uh it was in Bristol. I might have bummed into him. Uh, is in the house that Jack built. Breathe. Uh, How. Lonely place to die. Aragon. Uh, Midas man. So he's 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 kicking around a lot, and he really deserves to whatever he gets because he's fantastic in this. He plays a train guard called Joe Griffin. Um, who's doing, he was doing. He's finished his shift, and he kind of gets bullied into doing a, another shift, partly because a girl that he fancies is doing the this sort of amenities cart on it so he's like oh, i might get a chance to chatter up." but he's he's a really lovely guy he's kind of really humble and like a little bit introverted good looking guy but a bit sort of you know mumbly and uh he gets told off at the start of the film for not charging passengers when they've got a ticket because he just doesn't really enjoy um confrontations uh, so he goes on this midnight train, which is going through. There's a bit at the start of the film that I like, always laugh at, where he gets on the train, and as as the train pulls at the station, he like pushes down the sort of intercom button and talks to all the passengers, and it's like, "Ah uh, hi, I'm uh, I'm Joe your guard. We'll be stopping at Shitterton, Fucklebury, Bollocksville, <laughs> Wingleton, Twerton." gill Chipping, Chipping Sodbury, <laughs> Bodley Salter, t- and it's just this list of like tedious sounding towns that always amuses me. And as that happens, the camera kind of zooms out of his bored face out to show the, the train on the tracks, which is a nice shot. Um, so he's on there. There's only a handful of people on there. You've got the um, you've got the the, the sort of uh, the woman doing the sort of refreshments that he fancies. There's a really drunk. Football bloke who's got a kebab and he's like, blah, blah. there's a stressed uh, businesswoman, there's a flirtatious older businessman, there's an elderly couple. So you've got all these sort of little, you know, this sort of usual tropes sort of thing. Um, and what happens is the train just comes to like a grinding halt, and the driver, Sean Pertwee, Sean Pertwee is in this film. For a fraction of a second longer than I am, uh, he. And this amazing because, of course, he's. This is a. This is a. It's not a spoiler. So this is a werewolf film you can see on the cover, but the fact that he was in Dog Soldiers as well, it just. It. it almost feels like a sort of unofficial duology. Right. Like you could, we could watch God Dog Soldiers and then this, and and I, I am going to watch Dog Soldiers again. But at the moment, really, it's not anywhere uh, streaming. But well, um, apparently, Paul Hyatt, was.
2: He was worked on the special effects for Dog Soldiers and other. Um, Neil Marshall films.
1: Does oh, really? So mm. I, I I need to I need to look at more of his stuff because this is like this is one of my favorite werewolf films. Cool. Uh, uh, and so, what happens is the werewolves don't even really play a partner that much. So what happens? Is I'm not going to give away the plot. But it comes to grinding halt. Sean, it <laughs> he goes outside, and sees all these like claw marks down the side of the train, and the, the sort of like crack the fuselage, which has caused a problem. And he doesn't solve the problem, Rupert. In fact, he gets fucking torn to shreds, honestly. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, um, Ed Spilly is is has to kind of has to take over, and he just really doesn't want to, but he has to kind of rally everyone. the The elderly guy in it, by the way, is like the I think he's the caretaker in. Um, Dinner ladies with a Victoria Wood. It's just it's just really nice to sort of see him again. He, he's a great character in it. So yeah, it's just I don't, I don't want to spoil anything because with these films that are you know sort of set on location, if you will, like in in a train, in a house, it feels like a haunted train film, uh, and they just they they obviously have to get off somehow, and they're just surrounded by these werewolves and it's just them panicking for an hour and a half but what i really liked about it is i say an hour and a half it might even be shorter than that it's eight to nine minutes um it what i really like about it is again the the characters feel kind of real and relatable and they're not just like oh yeah you know or that bloke hiccups when he talks or or that that bloke happens to have a gun with one bullet in it and it's all like that bloke's got a knife, but only one side is sharp. And you're like, oh, well, stuff that kind of is just written for the film. They're just people on a train. And, mm-hmm. um, and it is just basically an hour and a half of them like bickering or trying to get through it and just throwing in these situations where it's like bloody hell. And, and, and the, um, the way they all, uh, work together, or pull together or argue or the, the past relationships between certain people. It just mm-hmm. works. And I don't know I just I really love it I I really find it incredibly rewatchable and it's one of those films like I don't know if you have this like Van Helsing for me where I know I watch the film and I it it kind of disappears out of your mind it's almost Mm -hmm. like your your memory enjoys it so much that it treats you by saying I'm gonna forget bits about this so then (laughs) when you watch it you're like oh god I forgot about this bit or I forgot how much I love this and it's almost like my its like my, my memory giving me a gift by saying, oh, yeah, I've got a little, I'll cut that little bit so you, you kind of enjoy it again. And so if you get a chance to see it, this is how it's... Um, its You might have to pay a couple of quid for it, but it's one of my favourites, certainly one of my favourite British horror films. And I feel like I need to watch Dog Soldiers within the next week or so just to see which one I prefer. Um, but I, I, I think Ed Spilliers is, is a game changer in this because he the the character arc he goes through is so believable because mm. even at the end of the film I, I I don't want to spoil anything but he he is just a person who like doesn't want to be there having to deal with it and like sort of corral these people together and he's just like i don't i don't want to be here i don't want this to happen i don't want to have to make these decisions
2: would you say i know i know you're a big fan of dog soldiers in particular would, would you say it's as good or better than dog soldiers
1: it's a tough one. Um, I think Dog Soldiers is much more uh, action-packed. This has a lot of action in it, but this is more about. It's almost like the werewolves are sort of secondary to it because it's just about ha- how they how they work together and they sort of obviously some certain people get sacrificed, some people there are sudden sudden uh, deaths or whatever. But I think if this feels slightly more. I mean, I'd have to watch Dog Soldiers again. If it's but
2: more of a. I'll, it sounds more of a horror film, basically, doesn't it? Because Dog yeah. Soldiers is essentially
1: an action movie, really. Yeah, um, I, think I was just gonna say this is more. So sort of, yeah, this feels more of a straight, straight horror. But I, I am gonna watch Dog Soldiers soon because I, I need to watch it. That I tell you what, though, Dog Soldiers is a film I was craving a sequel, craving. And I followed Neil Marshall's career, and I was like, please, please do Dog Soldiers too. Just do the same thing again, please. Shot for shot, how much?
2: <laughs> shot for shot remake of his own film um, yeah, with different, actors. with John Pertwee instead.
1: Uh, and, and, and you know, there are a lot of things that exist in this world, especially in the world of um, like podcasting, where it's 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 easy to point at something and laugh. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think with Under the Gun, I, I like how, our, I basically, with our approach to things, I like it when you watch something, I always go in with an open mind, I always want to enjoy myself, yeah. and I'm really glad, I just wanted to say, I'm really glad that you enjoyed Under the Gun, as much as I did, because yeah. uh, I just thought, this is something that like, probably, it's such a like non-film to a lot of people, and Richard Norton is such a non-actor to a lot of people, and it kind of like him, and, uh, well, actually, you are know, bringing up Ray Stevenson when he was in the Punisher, I, yeah. it got it got absolutely slated, and I thought he was a great Punisher, and and then and then you just exp- you want sequels, you want more, and, and and then when someone passes away, you you look at their filmography, and you just you just wish there was more, yeah. you know, like, yeah, to get yeah. your teeth into. And no, I, I just want to say I really enjoy these these underdog yes. films. It's, you watch that, it's such
2: you know, a pleasure when because you can trawl through like ten of them and they're all just like at best forgettable, <laughs> at worst mildly offensive. Um, But then you find one where, I don't know, sometimes you just just get the balance just right. Given their budget and their strengths and everything, they get the balance right between, like, action, choreography, like, humor, uh, drama, performances and stuff, stunts,
1: and they get it right. So Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's easy to point and laugh at things, but I think if you go in with a certain mindset, you can think actually this is I'm having fun with this. I'm not I'm not just laughing at it. If you go past that, oh this is gonna be shit, you can really have a good time and, and get into like a lot of things without just pointing and laughing and just opening your mind a little bit.
2: <laughs> that being said, I watched a film called Musketeers Forever, uh, which mm-hmm. is on Prime. Uh, yeah. bear in mind that, that's the title, Musketeers Forever. So, I assume
1: it's, is it a sequel or <sighs> no Michael
2: Duda
1: is in this film Rupert
2: yes he is this is a 1998 Las Vegas set action thriller with Michael Duda I've, Jeez, I've covered this as well what are you, are you... this is where they. <laughs> I, it's, is where I was... that's my this next question bar, I just assumed it? because it's got Michael Duda covering in it you would have seen it
1: yeah this is where they buy a bar together isn't it yeah Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that we're talking about this <laughs>
2: <thing>. <laughs> I'm just following in your footsteps um <laughs> <laughs> very slowly,
1: one <laughs> Michael Dudek of film at a time, um, so well, following my footsteps on the beach and wondering why you sink slightly in them almost as if I'm heavier in some way, and like you're like oh, these footsteps are deeper for some reason, <laughs> um so three
2: modern day musketeers, basically just three friends, like older Mo- guys, modern day or
1: from nineteen ninety seven
2: <laughs> what an itch day so one of them being lee majors by they open a new gambling joint in vegas called yes the musketeers club bit of a fixer-upper michael dudikoff is the fourth and of course he's called d'artagnan and he's the young buck of the group um relatively speaking but the establishment is built on native american land plus there's all these gangsters closing in. they've got their own interests so it's sort of besieged by external interest basically uh and I found it pretty tedious, I've got to say. Um, I didn't think there was enough action. And there's too much of this tedious political struggle between the musketeers, the local natives, and these evil Russian gangsters. And I'm not really the, clear the, why what's the what's mus- why musketeers. I mean, I, maybe it's based on some musketeer's story. But it seemed pretty irrelevant to me. And, I, it, I and found, it meant... Sorry, go on.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say that I, I found when I watched this that there's a lot of. It's a weird. It's a weird narrative choice. There's a lot of them mm-hmm. gathering around and saying, oh, "Remember in Cuba," and they'd all like laugh. And you think, yeah, it's like, should I should I be watching that sh- instead of this? <laughs> yeah, you're going to show us the more interesting
2: story. I and don't know. I keep, found you a lot referring of referring those- to. Yeah, yeah. I, I found a lot of those early dialogue scenes, especially with some quite quirky characters, had an air of like wannabe, like 90s indie, like post Tarantino type thing where there's some quirky characters and they have some sort of irreverent, almost like rambling, irrelevant conversations to build character. But of course, as we know. There are very few who do it as well as Tarantino, and it doesn't always work. It can
1: be aimless, some would say. Uh, So, yeah. Oh, you've seen blackmail with (laughs) Bukin Woodbine of you around (laughs) with you. Um, Yeah, and I found the
2: fights, you know, off the back of something like Under the Gun, like the fights in this, I found them a bit disappointing because they – they were more like kind of bar and brawls from like a fifties Western or something more slapstick than anything. It, it like the combatants were kind of playing with each other. There wasn't any real dramatic weight in there. And it would always be a case of like a few punches thrown. It'll cut to someone kind of like not really under threat, making up doing a one-liner sort of thing. Like it didn't really matter. And it's like kind of undermining the drama of this scene. And but But it's also got this weird tonal inconsistency where there's this quite serious undercurrent about the disenfranchisement of native americans and there's lots of po-faced observations of their cultures and culture and rituals but if this is all juxtaposed against that the bawdy musketeers and the mustache twiddling gangsters uh and yeah it all ends up in this quite boring mass brawl on someone's front porch and it never really comes alive, or it doesn't really amount to anything funny or exciting. So I found this quite tedious and disappointing, unfortunately.
1: Uh, I absolutely agree. It, you know, when you you, I don't know if you want to tell the people this that we we sometimes. I mean, you went through a phase of watching um, like uh, New York slashers, for example. Sure. And sometimes I just want to watch buddy cop comedies, which is the next one we're going to talk yeah. about, but you told me away. way if people want to get to like the the bottom of the barrel on freebie i don't know if you want to explain your method of doing it which is what i'm going to be using
2: <laughs> i can't remember the exact i have it written down. i have it written down but essentially what it involves is um going to justwatch.com filtering by freebie obviously um and then what else did i turn on i put like this uh, you got sliders for the date so i put 1980 to 1999 um what did i sort by it was something like it
1: was like it was like least viewed yes something like that
2: that. i think it was like reverse popularity or something like that so you click it twice but what happened was i just found this absolute gold mine of total nonsense where essentially it was just stuff that people just weren't watching like vhs transfers of total nonsense from the 90s and it's good well it's going to
1: serve this podcast for the next few years i'll tell you that keep <laughs> but i gotta say i can't remember what the name of it was but it is true that you know you like under the gun is great and uh, th- yeah um musketeers River is just a but bo- it's just boring and that that's the yeah, bigger that's, that's the, the biggest that's the biggest problem with a lot of these films, but remember that one I watched where it was like in the Canadian wilderness it was a half finished yeah. film and it was just it was really intriguing because it was a beautiful film to watch, but it was so aimless and bizarre you <laughs> I like coming across those. There's one film called The Dark with Willem Devane as a werewolf. Yeah. And I couldn't even see the screen or like hear it <laughs> properly because it was just this hissing and I think it's like, this is the, this is the stuff you want. This is what a podcast is built around. Um,
2: God, I remember watching the is it called the Cabal Cut of Nightbreed? You know the cut the kind oh, of Oh, well, where like, they, they yeah,
1: where well, they hacked the in the full images, cut yeah.
2: basically and 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 because there's a documentary made about it how about how they found the footage somewhere. And I watched a a rough cut of that in the cinema of all things and it was so it was a combination of like like digitally restored perfect images uh like in 2k i guess um but combined with these additional scenes like spliced into it and the additional scenes were staggering because they were completely raw and they were straight off well i think they were actually VHS. Of there were gun. copies they were they were literally copies of like a Betamax or a VHS, and as soon and it would cut and it, it would like suddenly go from like deep darkness underground to just blinding like studio lights, and just everything was so grainy. It was like I don't know, this is kind of taking me out of the atmosphere of the film a little bit. To be honest,
1: <laughs> I, I still, unfinished I special
2: think... effects, brilliant
1: have they i don't know if they finished that because i think they have 10 years yeah. ago i i haven't watched it because i wanted to watch it with you because uh, nightbreed is i might have mentioned it before but it's one of my favorite horror films and i, I was so excited about the thought of all this new this new stuff that i thought i want to watch this one it's like I'm at like its the peak. research
2: and, and we'll have to do that
1: because it's such a yeah good that film. that can be your homework for the next podcast to okay. uh see if uh, so but but so next time we'll talk about um uh, oh yeah and just a little thing as well we were talking earlier on about it's my 40th coming up and one of the things we're going to do is do a um a few people have mentioned it over the last couple of years a live Kino Kingdom where we'll, we'll do like a watch along and then talk about films just after we watch them and Rupert and I are just going to book somewhere and do a day of of movies uh mm-hmm. for my 40th which is that, that's going to be so wonderful to curate oh, uh, yeah. to, uh, well how are we going to do it are we going to get no idea. suggestions or we'll yeah we'll have to think about it. Any ideas? The men who talk on outlook.com. Um I'm going to talk about bending the rules now. Sure. Uh, which is a WWE as in the wrestling uh federation or business. Uh and this stars I know you're not a wrestling fan are you, Rupert. No. Do you know who Edge is? Adam Edge Copeland? I've heard of Edge. You've heard of Edge. Am I thinking of U2? No. No, hopefully not, because they're quite boring. Um, <laughs> they're one of those bands, like um, kind of well, like I'm... The Who. I've never. I can Coldplay. where it's all mid tempo stuff. Uh, like when I listen to U2, the only two songs I like are called Kite and Something Else, which I've already forgotten. But it's. <laughs> everything's like mid tempo and, and just flat and boring. But this film. It, well, kind of is also mid-tempo, flat, and boring. So this stars Ed, Uh This is from 2012, and it's it's a it's a WWE production, WWE Studios, and the music is by Trevor Morris. Who will pop up later on as well. Um, and it's a buddy cop action comedy. And my brother said, you know, he bought me he buys me all these films from charity shops where they basically give him a bag and just tell him to get out for free. So he gave me these three wrestling films, uh, and this is the first of them. Buddy cop Star *Siren Edge*, and Jamie Kennedy. If you've got this up on Wikipedia, and you click on Jamie Kennedy, you'll know who he is. He's like this sort of stone sidekick in films like *Road Trip* and *Rat Race*, and okay. he's just—I was, do you know, I—I I was shocked to find out he's a comedian. Holy sure? Pretty much. Polish you is less funny. I was surprised to find that there's actual, like on his passport, it's, it would say occupation comedian because there's no evidence of that <laughs> at all in this film. So like, oh, you're a comedian. That's interesting because I haven't laughed at all for the last 40 years. They're like me, a mother. Um, <laughs> but oh, sorry, I've lost oh, Jamie Kennedy. Let me go back. So it's a buddy cop film, right? And the, and the main plot is Edge is... Uh, Sort of lackadaisical New Orleans cop, and Jamie Kennedy is an assistant DA. And Jamie Kennedy's going, uh, you know, the edge is just obviously his name is Nick Blades, a uh, totally realistic name. And he just keeps on getting called in for, you know, not, not following the rules, bending the rules, if you will. And he Blades, just plural. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh,
2: not just the one blade then.
1: Uh, you know, multiple blades, like a whole cutlery drawer it should have been called Nicholas Cutlery Draw I think that was in the original draft so what about Nick Blades oh yeah that's, that's snappier actually uh, <laughs> ah, Mr. Cutlery Draw um, so middle name Eversham. Um so uh, yeah Jamie Kennedy is the assistant DA who's trying to sort of get him down but they have to work together because blah blah blah, 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 blah. this film is like a, this is like a just a sat Sunday afternoon completely bloodless like toothless oh, I don't know I think it's a 12 rating but there's no reason for it to be a 12 rating at all Edge in this film he's, he's, he is a good looking man right and he's 6 foot 4 and he's obviously like fit and he's wearing these like sort of Hawaiian shirts but he's got this really bizarre screen presence where at the start it's New Orleans so it's this, it's a beautiful setting you know and, uh, and he's just walking around and basically quipping but and and I, and I realized like the film is an I don't know how long is it is 83 minutes you're talking about 75 with credits he just quips everybody he meets he quips he quips he quips he quips and I think is there a script at any point <laughs> you just like, meeting, like oh, you know I I I'm, I'm, it's like it's like until the final scene he's still trying to get a pot across the point that I'm oh, a pretty breezy guy you know and so there's no like depth mm. to it at all regardless of the risk that happens Jamie Kennedy's hair in this film—it's like it's like he sat in the costume, costume design, you know, uh, room. And they said, oh, "This is you're going to wear." And, they, and then they got a load of blue gel and rubbed it on their hands. And as they went towards his head, he went, da, 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 da. <laughs>
0: "No,
1: no, I'm going for full Michael Keaton Batman." <laughs> so it's just this, like, I don't even know if this is racist. This is racist, but like, a, like a, like a Jewish tuft. Yeah if you know what I mean, no. it is yep. this, like the, the Billy Crystal, like it, it's just it's just no problem, it's just, it's just Napoleon hair.
2: Dynamite fro.
1: yeah, it's just hair on his head and, and he wakes up and he cleans his teeth and he looks at his hair and he puts his hands up in front of him and says, do as you will and then goes to work um, but it's not supposed to be like that, it's not like he's bedraggled, in fact there's a point in this film and it's a really tedious film thanks Transvaal where, where he he says Oh, my um, my wife who's trying to leave me and like get me away from the kids has got all the money and I'm just, you know, I can't afford anything. If she kicks me out, I've got nothing. And I paused the film and I went on my phone and I typed in LA oh, sorry, New Orleans Assistant District Attorney salary. Mm-hmm. And it's it works out as sixty two thousand British pounds. It's about eighty grand. Mm-hmm. And then and then I typed in what Edge's salary would be, and it was about two grand less. So mm-hmm. That's quite comfortable, really. Yeah, you basically if if I earned sixty thousand pounds a year and Faye said, "Right, off you go, off you trot, you, you, use your shitty DVDs, get out," um, it would I would be like, if I was on sixty grand a year, I'd be quite comfortably be able to like get a single, you know, like a studio apartment or like a you know, be I mean, a small house somewhere. Yeah. But I thought what, that so that does that's just basic maths, and I'm not even American. I I just did a little bit of maths and thought you'd, you'd be totally fine. And New Orleans, it's not like it's not like s- central Manhattan, is it?
2: no Uh, no right it's not san francisco type ridiculous real estate i don't know
1: about the real estate in america i just it's expensive it's it's expensive over in california (laughs) um so yeah the whole film trundles on and like no one is funny edge is charming because he is he's he's a good right he's a great wrestler he's back in it now looks fantastic but I just would have thought if you leave wrestling, my first move wouldn't have been a really gentle buddy cop comedy. It is so gentle. the The only, the best parts of this film are when uh, Jessica Walter, bless her cotton socks, she passed away a couple of years ago as well. Jessica Walter rocks up as uh, Jamie Candy's mother, and Philip Baker Hall is his father. And I literally, while they turned up as a as a couple, I spent the rest of the film just reminiscing about how. How much I loved Archer in the early series. And how harsh it is that Jessica Walters no longer with us. And the same with Philip Baker Hall. Just how amazing he was in Hard Eight. And I just thought this film is nothing. I wouldn't be surprised if. like When they, when it finished the DVD came up my hands. It just disappeared. And it just disappeared into dust. And flew off out of my window. I heard a ghostly voice saying. Sorry about that. So. Bending the rules. I'm surprised it hasn't got an apostrophe in bending. To be honest. It is a. Just a. Sunday. It's the kind of film. If it was made fifty years ago, you'd walk in and find a man watching it. You know, It's because right. nothing happens, and nothing happens nothing. to the point that she she'd say, "Oh, I might have seen this before, actually, but I don't know because it's so nebulous." It's just a. It's a nonsense. W- film. It's
2: weirdly
0: bloodless, almost. You could say it's edgeless. You could, but you wouldn't. So let's not watch that then.
1: Sorry, but I'm just tying this uh Hangman's Noose. <laughs> oh yeah, it's making, making sure it doesn't break. Uh, no, go on. So yeah, that was bending the rules with uh, Edge, Adam Copeland, and Jamie, don't put gel in my hair, Kennedy. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> please let it run free. Uh, I watched another film on Freebie called Evolver. This it was made in 1995. And it's ostensibly a. Has got of... Oliver
1: Gronier in it? No, no. No.
2: Uh, it's ostensibly a family friendly like, sci fi movie about a robot running a mock. Uh, so this kid wins a VR contest and his prize v- vr
1: in the mid-19s oh, yes oh my god this is really good
2: <laughs> it's astonishing uh his prize is he wins this combat robot this experimental combat robot right so the idea is is this robot sort of hunts you uh with styrofoam bullets and you have to de- defeat it with a laser sort of type of thing so but the twist is that the robot is designed to evolve through a series of levels and of course it gets which means it gets tougher and tougher to beat. And, of course, what ends up happening is it evolves too far and actually wants to kill people. So that's the idea.
1: There is... I've uh, seen this, but I saw this when I worked in the video shop. So, wow, I'm I, I, I like to, Yeah, I mean, it's where I would have been, like, between 16, 17, 18 years old. And it rings a bell. And I do like Ethan Embry, but I, I don't yes. remember anything beyond the premise. Yeah, we'll
2: get to him. Because... So... But the fundamental problem with the film really is that the robot just sucks. Like, it looks no more advanced than, say, something like Johnny Five from uh, Short Circuit. But this is 1995, so there isn't really an excuse for that. There's just this really pervasive shoddiness throughout this film. Like, it will be like you'll have a scene where it's meant to be night vision, but it's just green screen sort of thing. And you have, like, another bit where, like, these laser beams... Uh, will shoot out, but they're only in, they're only powerful enough to slightly singe paint, stuff like that. And <laughs> and and you'll get this supposedly super advanced combat AI that will just miss a stationary human target from about eight feet across the room. It's like what's happening? Um, yes, like you say, the main kid is played by Ethan Embry, and he does have a bad case of mum hair in this film, but he does have some charisma. I I quite liked him. Um, he's he's got permanently sad eyes. Yeah he kind of he's got a certain intensity about him. He kind of reminds me of a young Shia LaBeouf anyway another fundamental problem with the film is that it is a silly story and it focuses a lot on the kids but the film itself isn't really for kids it's like quite nasty in terms of its violence and then the robot starts like dropping f-bombs all over the place and it's like who is this for it's just weird storytelling and editorial decisions all throughout it like Like the fact that it starts with opens with like a VR sequence and then just totally ditches that concept for the rest of the movie, instead focusing on like Doctor Who level practical effects. And it's just shoddy is the word in terms of script and execution, really. Like there's a bit where it's a bit near the end where things are ratcheting up, and basically the mum and the sister are being held hostage and cuts to elsewhere and the son is talking to this cop and uh and the cop says oh you need to file a report at the precinct and and the boy runs off and you assume all right you must be running toward the precinct because he's just Hmm. that's the word that's just been used but no he's actually turns out he's actually heading home to to (laughs) save the mother but it's like well that wasn't established that he was going to run home so there's no tension there it's just basic editorial decisions like that where it's like you know like oh we should be excited about this moment but i don't know where he's running off to i don't i'm not getting the dramatic the tension here it's just bad badly put together shoddy if it had been released in 1985 i think it could have been quite charming but it looks really lazy and dated even in 1995 to be honest
1: so Evolver is not worth it. Sorry, freebie. There's a film that Oliver Grunia is in that sounds like it might be like revolver or something like that. But um, yeah, what is this? It? You're gonna piss me off. though but um, yeah, that that, that doesn't make me want to revisit it to be honest. No, it's not worth it. There's there's a film that um, <clears throat> what was the? It was the kid in um, Terminator Two, Edward, the one who moved oh. above a Greg's. Furlong. Yeah, the one I moved above for KFC. Um, he he was in a film called like Brain Brain Damage or something like that, and it was a really yeah. weird VR thing that was quite quite nasty and I'd like to watch. It was in the 90s, so I'm gonna, it wasn't... I might be automatic. Yeah, I know the one you're thinking of because I can see the cover. Yeah, that's what, what I was thinking of, all, which is automatic. Um, I've only got one more because... I've decided the three and a half. I'm going to watch the half before I talk about it.
2: But, um, okay. Well, do you want me to quickly go through another one before I get to my double bill?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Go on, go on. That'd be awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I, I have a feeling I might have actually – I don't know whether I've covered this before. I watched it so long ago, and I keep putting it off. If, uh, it's, Lord,
1: I, if it's Lord of the Rings, you have. Oh, yeah. yeah it was the entire
2: Middle Earth uh <laughs> saga wasn't it yeah now yeah. it is uh a film called those who wish me dead have you heard of this it sounds if famous. it doesn't ring a bell that's good um so anyway it's on prime terrible title but is based on a source novel angelina jolie does it ring any bells angelina jolie m- no. miscast it's... miscast as a smoke jumper what someone who basically Yes, someone who skydives into forest fires. I mean, they must exist, I guess. Um, but for what purpose, though? What are they doing on um, their land? To help out saving people.
1: Anyway, she is off the sure, rails Surely, hang on, no, 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 because surely in no other. In no other circumstance would you think oh, I have to dive into the center. I have to get you, you. don't get people like drop into buildings in the center of a fire. I, I don't I think they directly
2: different. into the fire. I think they get into a oh. position where they're able to like coordinate from the ground something. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't sound like a good idea to me. But anyway, she's off the rails. She's off the job after a traumatic experience. Mean, but you know. She's just a, a roguish type of type of lady. Anyway, meanwhile, this accountant and his son are on the run from some hitmen, uh, and they're on their way to Montana to stay with Sheriff John Burnsall and his pregnant wife. Anyway, Good. this accountant has some crucial information about something. Um, hence why the hitmen are after him, I guess. Um, it's a partial spoiler, but basically this information ends up solely in the hands of the son who then stumbles upon angelina jolie who vows to keep him safe out in the wild meanwhile these hitmen are rampaging across the country uh, countryside looking for this kid to get this information or indeed kill him babs um there's something quite 90s about this it has shades of the river wild and the fugitive that sort of thing um it's got this quite absurd but very propulsive plot which requires some suspension of disbelief i won't lie but it's very fast paced uh it's 100 minutes and yeah it did remind me of a 90s movie it's got this kind of combination of morally grounded law enforcement and unfeasibly ice cool bad guys and some quite simple simplistic character dynamics the twist in this though is that it's actually by taylor sheridan of course he made wind river yeah So it's a bit more brutal and cynical than the films I mentioned. And I suppose this is encompassed in the hitmen who are played by Aidan Gillen and Nicholas Holt. And these are preposterous. Aidan
1: Gillen is such, in Blitz, he's such a
2: strong screen presence. He is quite scary when he wants to be. But they are preposterous, these two. They literally, they shoot anyone they see. Literally, they make the decision early on, right? Are they photographers then? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. They just take it, yeah. Just post me. That's it. That's it. Smile. Um, No. Chased by keen photography. (laughs) Yeah. Watch out for that fire. Um, No. So they, um, they they just, they're going to kill anyone who sees their faces. That's their decision. It's like, okay, it's probably isn't the best way of going about your business, but fine. And they are kind of the highlight of the movie, actually, Aidan Gillen and Nicholas Holt, because they're really cold and evil. And, and Aidan Gillen's character is especially funny because he is like totally exasperated by like the whole like rural location he just hates it, it reminded me of Miguel Ferrer's character in Twin Peaks the way he's in this kind of small town scenario just like really really can't be bothered with all this like mud and trees and
1: stuff (laughs) or or Miguel Ferrer's character in The Night Flyer where he can't be bothered with anyone who isn't him (laughs) what What a a movie, that's a movie that is (laughs) it's
2: a film with a character in it, again another (laughs) actor another actor just want him still to be alive and starring <laughs> be, in more movies.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, you may be wondering where firefighters fit into this. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Well, that whole firefighter angle is pure plot function and nothing else. Really? It gets oh. so ridiculous. This film until literally by the end, the central characters are stalking each other around the woods, literally being chased by like tendrils of fire it's quite absurd. You remember that bit in um, Backdraft where...
1: Everyone talks about Backdraft whenever it's a firefighting film. I was waiting for Backdraft to be well, mentioned. It's got to be. But you
2: remember, the, is, it, is it Robert De Niro's character who's going on about the living fire and stuff? Yeah, and yeah, how, it's, it pre- uh,
1: and, and and how it the fire out? service afterwards said that it's not a living thing, it's fire. <laughs> and don't romanticise it. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that.
2: But it was might as well. This is living fire in this movie. It's preposterous. I kind of liked it even though it's average in virtually every way, pretty much. It has this kind of standalone purity, this grounded kind of heroism that is quite welcome in our modern action cinema. But I would say, I think it suffers from the fact that it's Taylor Sheridan who made Wind River, and this is not half the film that Wind River is.
1: Wind River is the, one of the few films that convinced me of Jeremy Renner. Like humans, yes that's such a
0: yeah
2: i think wind river and the town are what you need yeah. to watch to be convinced of Jeremy Renner's talent yeah. but it is not as the swaggering action hero movie star as we saw in ghost protocol when he was trying to out charisma tom cruise <laughs>
1: that's Did a that dangerous work? game to play those yeah. tom cruise jumps off planes he runs and jumps across buildings with a broken ankle jeremy renner sits in a slightly cold pool of water Not really a comparison no so that I thought you were going to slight this because when you were ch- chatting I went to the Taylor Sheridan uh, filmography and I thought Wind River is that's a bloody good film and um, yeah you got Hello high water without remorse I haven't seen <laughs> finest kind always produced that so uh, Sicario and Sicario de S- I, I I didn't see Sicario I saw Sicario de la Sondado and that was a great film i so Yeah, yeah. Oh, he has a rough time in that film.
2: Yeah, old I, old. I preferred the second one. Um, Actually, Benicio
1: del Toro has a rough time in that film.
2: Yes, uh, but yeah, those who wish me dead. I think if you accept it for what it is, and it is not any of those other films, then it's fine. Like as a kind of '90s throwback type of silly thriller. Uh, you know, everyone's on board. They know how silly
1: it is, so it's fine um so my last film i'm going to keep my last one a secret but um i i watched the, the it's a this is a documentary on netflix called the pez outlaw um i don't know i know love to all the listeners if you want to contact us about anything it's the the com. but uh, i am a avid i'm an avid video game fan and i have a lot of video game
0: related things in storage at present um I, I, My are you there, Rupert? Oh, you went
2: blank for a second there,
1: yeah, I think there was a slight disconnect there instead of making sonar noises um i'm glad I'm glad you're back, so yeah, apologies <laughs> if I missed this in the edit, but suddenly my headset made sonar noises um Interesting. but yeah we we're, we're back, so, so like um, whale song,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. If I was and a, a whale somewhere in the Antarctic heard it went, I'm getting a billion <laughs> I am. So yeah, I'm an avid collector of video games and I've got a, a lot of stuff in storage. And so anything that involves collecting or like obsessive collecting really does appeal to my DNA and especially to phase DNA, especially if it's tiger handheld. And um, so the Pez Outlaw is about this guy who... Uh, called Steve Glue G L E W. Are you still there, Rupert? I'm just checking before I. I am. I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, this is a, so. This is a Netflix documentary, and it's just about a guy called Steve Glue who just got obsessed in the '90s with pears and smuggling them in from the Eastern European. I think it's G- it's either Austria or Germany. Uh, I think it's Austria actually. Going over there and just taking bags of them back because of a loophole in the law. In the is it is it patent or patent? Patent. patent the patent law where they, they missed out a clause about it being it's okay for him to smuggle them in the country so it was like they just had to watch him and like just completely use this loophole Steve Glue is this really wonderfully is he
2: smuggling Pez he
1: Rupert <laughs> the, him and his wife in this film all I'm willing to say on this podcast is that there's magic in the air. Okay. And, you know, those who know will know there's magic in the air and this whole film is him sitting in his tool shed with a fishing hat on and a massive ZZ Top beard. He is so charming. He's just kind of like a, he's like a a wonderful, slightly magical uncle that's been hit a little bit too hard with a toffee hammer. And he's just saying, talking about his time in the, in the 90s when he did this, he just said when he saw Pears... He worked as a as a machinist and his job was really boring. And then when he discovered Pez, he thought they were beautiful and he wanted to sell them, got into this Pez club and just said, right, I'm going to save all my money, go to Europe with a, there's like a, there's apparently like a, an American Pez, uh, um, and a European peazom, I and they're totally separate. And he wanted to get the stuff from the European peazom and bring it into America and sell it and make a money because it's rare. Because they have a lot more stuff. We have a lot more stuff in Europe than the Americans do, apparently. And it's a really bizarrely endearing documentary because he is just he's just completely whimsical. Like he, it, there's there's a sequence in it where he says, "Oh yeah, before I, Money, he's in his 60s now. He's like, well." what I would do before I came across the border, you know, bringing them back in America, these huge duffel bags. Can you imagine like 12 or 13 military style duffel bags full of Pez dispensers? And he said, Oh yeah, what I learned to do is, you know, to the, the best way to do it is you just stay awake for 24 hours. So you're really twitchy and like, you, you can't, you know, you're really edgy. You just want to sleep and you, it, you, it just, it just, they just, they just let you through because they want to get rid of you. And it snap cuts to like a, customs officer saying that's literally the worst thing that you can do because you just instantly stand out and you look really twitchy and suspect and we take you off to a side room and then question (laughs) you and that's just what happens constantly to him but he's making out that he's this sort of spy that like sort of got under (laughs) the radar but it's just because of this patent law and um he's just he's smuggling in these shit bits of plastic yeah. But he's he's selling them for uh, in the end he had millions of dollars. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about. I really want people to watch this, The Pairs Outlaw on Netflix. I'm not gonna talk about what happens and the sort of not the twist, but you know how how his story ends. But <laughs> it's it's really, what I loved about it. The, the the way this film, the lightness, the lightness of touch with which this film deals with its subject matter, is summed up by how the main bad guy in this film is made up to be the, the head of Pez in America. And he finds out about this guy doing this, and he wants to stamp it out. And mm. they refer to him brilliant, brilliantly as the President. And I thought, <laughs> uh, well, the moment they said it, I closed my eyes and tilted my head back and thought, yes, this film is on my radar. And um, there's this, it's so funny because... the. It cuts occasionally to his family, this this uh, this Steve Glue and it cuts his wife talks like this and she's quite
0: nerdy and
1: at one point in the movie she says that I'm with him because the sex was great and still is great. And I thought that must be the way she talks, Steve, it must be like having sex with Paul Bearer after he's popped on a gastric band. It just sounds like having sex with a slightly shocked ghost so yeah congratulations to this sex life but um yeah it, it's just really light-hearted he is wonderful there's magic in the air for both them and for us as viewers and i think that um the pez outlaw 20 it's an hour and 25 minutes on netflix it, it just makes you feel good it's just he's so happy his wife's so, it's, so happy it's
2: one and done it's yeah a film not a, okay cool
1: no, I can't yeah, really no. drag that out. To oh, seasons. I wouldn't be talking about the Cavalcade whatever we put. I would have. It would, I, if th- if this was a two part, I would never even mention it. <laughs> I never it. So yeah, and that is me done. I'll talk about my next film next time when I finished it. But uh, that's me done, babe. What have you got for your double bill?
2: My double bill is uh, well, it starts with White Men Can't Jump, which is on Disney Plus. This was the 1992. Sports comedy drama from Ron Shelton,
1: Woody Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. Indeed, and fix Woody my, plays Fix My Pipes.
2: <laughs> uh, Woody Harrelson plays Billy, who's a. With it, with it, what
1: would what would you see? You've got Wesley Snipes, Fix My Pipes. What would Woody Harrelson's rhyming slang be?
2: Um, I think I'd probably aim for the Woody as, as the <laughs> rhyming slang there. Harrelson, <laughs> and I just can't really get a full <laughs> rhyme on that one, really. Um, <laughs> oh, goody, it's Woody Harrelson. And so he plays Billy and he's a basketball hustler who meets his match in Wesley Snipes. And the pair spark up a unlikely and combative friendship where they, they basically hustle in the streets of L.A., trading insults as well as their basketball moves and they're both desperately trying to please their partners especially Woody and but they both mess up in their own ways so it's about their ups and downs on the streets and in the courts and uh and basketball courts I mean and the tension between friendships and romantic relationships bros versus hoes one might say and that's that's pretty much it it's pretty loose um Ron Shelton, of course, is responsible for the likes of Bull Durham and Tin Cup. So he knows the
1: comedy tin cu- sports Tin Cup, drama, by the way, is the, the best golf movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Tin Cup is hands on the best golf movie ever made. Did he also do Ron Shelton? Did he do Money Train? Because that obviously brought these two back together. Mm, not sure he did Money Train. He did Dark Blue with Kurt Russell.
2: That, that is a fantastic good. movie. It's a cool movie. Um, but also, I think this movie is a reminder if nothing else, of how talented and charismatic Wesley Snipes was at his peak, and it kind of, I suppose it also set the template for Woody Harrison's charm, that kind of laid-back... So,
1: so oh, this, is, this is pre-Blade 3? Oh Trinity. yes, oh yes. Um, uh, so that's when he cared...
2: Yes. Uh, oh, That's okay. Kid. And when he was that, not in prison, um, <laughs>
1: when he acted, right?
0: Okay, right,
2: right. Uh, Yeah, and it's got you know the Woody Harrelson charm, kind of laid back, mocking, kind of kind of self defeating smugness thing going on, and and the success of the film is really the chemistry between the leads, so Snipes and Harrelson, but also Rosie Perez as well, and it needs that chemistry because the entire script is basically just arguments and insults and mockery and complaining. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this sort of underlying unspoken bond that's based on the character's actions.
1: Before you carry on, can I, mm-hmm. if I may interject one more time, sorry, there was, this is funny you should say this because I mentioned this before on the podcast, but my Instagram account, I don't really follow anything specific. So they just throw stuff at me and hope that I'll just get into an algorithm. And one of the, I, I don't know if you've watched the first series of, oh my God, what was it called? It's called like True, True, True Detective. Oh yeah, yeah. With yeah, with Woody Harrelson and I know there were other series I didn't watch, but Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Yes. And it, obviously Matthew McConaughey's really sort of dream like an abstract, and Woody Harrelson's like a like a like a down south old boy. And there's a, there's a, it came up with on my Instagram account just a clip from the film, and it's them getting into a car. It's perfect. And it basically sums up the entire first series and it and it it, it really plays to Woody Harrelson's strength and it just reminded me of what you said then that an that un, unspoken unspoken bond, but a complete difference of character where they're mm. about to get in the car and Woody Harrelson says, you know, to Matthew Connie can you do me a favor, can you stop doing all that weird mumbo jumbo abstract shit and just talk like a normal man? And then he just sort of nods and they get in the car. And then they're driving along. It gets they're driving along. And Woody Harrelson is sort of like, Oh, did you uh you sleep okay last night? And then (laughs) Matthew McConaughey looks out the window and goes, I don't sleep, I dream. (laughs) And then Woody Harrison's driving and he just is... And there's a second... Uh, and his eyes just pop to the to the right to look at him, like, and he sort of grits his jaw. And it reminds me of when you said in The Shining, where Jack Nicholson looks up for a second, and yeah. it's just the fact that he said, "Oh, sleep, bad dream." And then and you Woody Allen just just pops the side eye just before the scene ends, just like yes, as if he's saying, "Yes, we spoke about this recently, didn't we?" But it just, <laughs> yeah, it's I it's just a, I love, love that. I think that that is to me is like the absolute pinnacle of movie comedy. Anyway, sorry, I do apologize. Carry on.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I like the way that even though you have this sort of like trio of races you have like Caucasian, African American and Hispanic, <laughs>
1: trio of races. Trio. I didn't I didn't know my family were in it. Um
2: it's it's not some tiresome lecture about race relations. It's it's much more about like the leveling quality of insults and most of which relate to mocking each other's mothers to be honest um but it's a film oh, about male female relations and men's sense of purpose and male pride and it's a really is, good is, film
1: is it this with is it this on Money train where one of the one of the characters partners is something to do with jeopardy to, a character on jeopardy yeah she's she's desperate to get right, on yeah. to jeopardy sorry she's yeah, basically just...
2: training for jeopardy it's quite a weird subplot um but it's really good yeah it's a nice easy watch nicely observed Dramatically compelling, mostly because you're just desperate for Woody Harrelson to stop making stupid mistakes. It's really well written, uh brilliantly performed, and, and it has a real edge to it. Like Harrelson's character in particular is constantly on the cusp of just losing his relationship and by extension his mind as well. And interestingly, this was one of Kubrick's favourite films, which is odd. Um really? But, yeah, he absolutely adored this. And Which is strange because it's virtually the opposite of anything Kubrick ever produced. It's like it's fast and loose and trendy and effortlessly cool. Did you know as well? Here's a bit of trivia for you. I wonder if. uh, Well, let's go with this. There's a video game of this movie, right, which was released three years after the film in 1995. And it is exclusive to one platform. Can you guess what platform <laughs> it is
1: exclusive to? Uh, I, I was trying to stop myself blurting out if this is Ocean Software, it's a side-scrolling platformer. But <laughs> it says 95, it wouldn't be that uh, 95. White Mankind, it's not the Mega Drive. I don't think it's Super Nintendo or 95. is pre-N64. It's not the Sega Saturn. Maybe the Jaguar, because I don't know much about that. I'm leaning... Hmm. PC is a bit of a nightmare in 95, so it'd either be PC... Yeah. Or I'm trying to think of what hand consoles around or like the N gauges later. My my you have mentioned it Jaguar. I would say the Jaguar.
2: That is it. It was in the Atari Jaguar oh,
1: exclusive,
2: exclusive movie tie-in made three years after the film for Atari Jaguar. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Hang on! Um, please
1: tell me this is a first-person basketball game. Which is I don't actually know what basketball. it's like. I'm surprised if you're going to find a video of it anywhere. I'm um, surprised. To guess the platform. I'm going to have a little wank of later on. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just so white men can't jump. White men can't jump. Video game. Atari Jaguar. <laughs> full dials. It is. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> just tell me what does it look like I was just looking at the screenshots i don't know what to say the <laughs> cover of the game is just it's the most 90s thing uh team tap adapter the screenshot is like it's yeah it's like a basketball game viewed from the opposing hoop what? my third my third album <laughs> how is that a good thing what like through the hoop no, no, like it's if, it's quite it's sort of a third person view, but it looks oh. like it's from if you're looking in a if you imagine you're looking in a basketball court, you're but from down up basketball, opposing up and slightly to the right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so, a, so awkward. White McMahon jump is a two and two street basketball game similar to barkley Shut Up and Jam Jam It. Jam it. It's like but, by the way, similar to barkley Shut Up and Jam, which is a big game on like the the, the Mega Drive and Jam It, which is. Solely released for like the 3DO, like everyone would know. Oh, oh Jam, it. similar, Jam, I'm with you. Um, it's, I mean, look at the reception eight, eight out of ten. Atari Gaming Headquarters, I, they didn't have much else to choose from today at that time. Um, oh, Jesus Christ, wow. Uh,
2: so this brings me to White Men Can't Jump 2023,
1: of, they also it. on Disney Plus. They remade it. Yes, oh, by did. the way, have you? Uh, j- have you seen Money Train? Is this the perfect time for you to watch Money Train? Have I seen Money Train?
2: I don't think I have seen Money Train.
1: Oh, please watch uh, it. I'll, you, oh, if... Go on then. I Hang on, let me let me just do a just let me just do a um. Money Train, just watch because th- this is one. It's one of those films you, f- you feel that you should you should watch. You know. Okay. Uh, so Money Train. It, yeah. If anyone wants to double bill, this is a uh, oh I got a free. It's not available for free because it's so good. Don't look at the cover; the cover is terrible. <laughs> so Amazon, YouTube, Sky—it's basically two fifty nine. But please watch yeah. it if you can.
2: Um, right. So, White Men Can't Jump, twenty twenty three. Um, first thing to say is rest in peace, Lance Reddick, because he's in this movie. Oh, it's his first yeah. posthumous release, I guess. But um, so he's the father of uh, a guy called Kamal who. Was a top NBA prospect, but now is a washout um, following a senior year arrest. So there's this big two-on-two tournament upcoming, and Kamal meets Jeremy, an internet influencer, played by some white rapper I've never heard of. And they basically work together to hustle the money on the streets of LA, hustle the money together to enter this tournament for the chance to win like 25 grand. Stylistically, I mean, already the plot is quite different. But stylistically, it's very different to the original. It's much more mainstream comedic structure. um So you'll have like briefer scenes of like the protagonist rubbing up against oddball characters. Um. Uh, yeah. This the original had longer scenes, mostly comprised of arguments, but somehow felt less aimless than this, and more narratively personal, purposeful. So this one's way more plot driven, but it's like, it, it, it doesn't have any of like that, the kind of loose shooting the shit kind of scenes from the original. It feels much more deliberately palatable and predictable and safe. And it's sentimental as well, which is astonishing. Um, After uh, coming off this, off the original, it's actually sentimental. It's like, which is epitomized by the ending which is like a warm hug of an ending and it's like no okay this is uh it's just so it's so soft and edgeless um and you know like in the 92 version like the argumentation that was the story and that's how the characters are developed and it drove the drama this version is just standard sports movie underdog uh story you know and you got the these two characters who are just regular buddies uh, and they just explain their backstories to each other um, with sentimental music and everything. It's like, what is this? This is so not what, <laughs> what I'm used to. But um Yeah, and and the the performances are weak and they have this slightly stuttering bromance, I guess. But crucially they don't ever hustle each other as such. Like they they're not there isn't that combative relationship that was shared by Woody Harrison and Wesley Snipes these two just kind of like each other have they're just bros they have like these res- restorative heart to heart conversations A- and also there's no real conflict between the men and their wives or each other now and that is this is the the really crucial part of it because the whole thing was about woody harrison's character he was he was sympathetic because he was a smug wise ass on the court. So he's all he was a winner on the court, but he was a total loser at home. That was that was the dynamic there. That's what made it interesting. His the Jeremy character in this movie, he doesn't have that loser aspect. So all you've all he is is a smug wise ass. That's so he's just a smug twat. You don't get the kind of flip side of that to elicit sympathy because he's just a winner at home as well. So it's like and likewise, you know, Wesley Sipes was a, a disloyal asshole who learned to trust Woody Harrelson and build a sense of loyalty outside himself. But then in this, in the new one, Kamal is just this decent, slightly depressed family man. So, again, that whole dynamic is completely lost for something at best mainstream, at worst, utterly boring. Uh the script just is not funny. Uh most of the comedy is like outsourced to their wacky friends, which is always a bad sign. Uh this one is like I mentioned that the the original film was not about race relations. It was much more about um male female relations and actually much more about masculinity. This is constantly referring to race, of course. So they're just like quips about christopher columbus reparations gentrification shades <sighs> of chocolate obama that kind of thing hey yeah and yeah and it, it's just and it doesn't have it is very ungrounded compared with the original like there's one scene where this gangbanger pulls out a flamethrower on the basketball court it's like these are the kinds of like ridiculous characters who would be in a will ferrell movie 15 years ago Um. So yeah. In summary,
0: (laughs) how
1: old? How old is the writer to this movie? This feels like a like a committee of like older men, like who do. Because I'm just thinking back to I was as you were chatting. Then I was getting up. White men can't jump. And um, Woody Harrel. Like, White men can't jump was such a good film, and It's 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 a really good film, and it's like a really kind of like breezy film as well. Um and that's ninety two so you know it was it was like woody harrelson's first starring movie really you know he's an l a story called Blue Wildcats but like whatever and but this is his first starring role Wesley Snipes was in was in King of New York, which is another great film we've covered, yeah, Mo better blues starred in New Jack City, slightly more of a film veteran after jungle fever in what men can't Jump and that kind of came across in the film as well as him being a bit more of a veteran but and then, yeah, of was course, a, he
2: went straight into, like, Demolition Man and stuff like that. Because yeah, like, boom, blast
1: 57, like, went off. Yeah. Um, but this, yeah. This just, this remake, like, I kind of, in my head, I don't know how this works for the people, but White Man Can't Jump occupies the same space in my head as something like Point Break. You know, it's one of those films that people, yep. it's like, uh, a key point, like, that was their teenage film. And I've seen White Men Can't Jump much more than I watched Point Break, and I don't know what the Point Break remit it was like. I don't have no real interest in it, but terrible by all well, accounts. It was terrible, was it? Oh right, but but with White Men Can't Jump, unlike with Money Train, it, the it, I'm a huge fan of banter between people, and yeah. it, and it, in Money Train it works, and in uh, White Men Can't Jump it works. To to, and I would like to point out as well. That in something
2: like 21 Jump Street or 22 Jump Street, it works. So there are modern films yeah. that can yeah, do Yeah, there are modern yeah, films. Yeah, that's that's so I, it's I, not I, out, I, out of the question. And yet here, they kind of they just dispense with that whole dynamic completely, which is bizarre because that was really the selling point of the original. That was what was so funny about it. But it was so cleverly written, the original, that it built character through those exchanges in a really clever way. They don't even bother with that now. They're just people who meet each other and like each other and don't really argue, but have heart to hearts and get along quite well with their wives. And so there's no conflict or drama there. It's is weird. It, it's,
1: it's, is, it, is it the end of Rocky one or two where um, the final scene is Carl Weathers and Rocky and they dance around each other, they both go in for a punch and it's a freeze frame. And in the next film, he has a black eye and Rocky, and they say, where'd you get that? And he said, from a friend. Uh, I don't know if it's Rocky Two I think or three. It must three. be the end of two going into you know, the three. Going then. into the right. So that that for me, that vibe, that that them dancing around each other and they're going in for the punch when you get the black eye from a friend, it's such an unspoken, beautiful narrative construct that yeah, be, like lives in your mind as like this this beautiful moment. White men can't jump is almost that spread out for a whole film. Where it's just them kind of not getting on, but really having this respect for each other and loving each other. And it just seems really bizarre to try to take that and think, Oh, let's just do that again. but well, it's you can't because that's down to Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. It's not just down to like how they were written, it's down to those actors. It's down to that time. It's down to how they were. It, yeah. you can't you can't reconstruct it. I didn't know it was remade and, and I it just seems like a it just seems like a very silly move. Yeah. Yeah. Well and
2: it it seems like well two things it seems like they remade it and thought right well we can make this relevant to the modern age uh by having like all these references to gentrification and obama and things like that etc but then on top of that they more importantly they completely misunderstood what actually what the driving force was in the original movie (laughs) Uh, and it wasn't
1: been in office for how many years
2: i know i know but but they misunderstand what mate what was the driving force of the original movie, which was conflict. It was constant, constant conflict, uh, like between every character. It was in some sort of conflict with and between each other, but also within themselves. That was the whole thing about Woody Harrelson's like he felt alive on the court, sort of thing, um, and that's where he got his thrills. And he he couldn't he couldn't leave it alone. Like, but he also was desperate to, like, please his girlfriend, etc. But he could not find the balance at all. And that was what was the tension was interesting throughout. But you take all that stuff out and turn it into like there was he wanted to have they thought, oh, well, I rem-, it's like someone remembered White Men Can't Jump as being this kind of easy breezy movie that didn't have any like sharp edges to it. But that's wrong because it did. Yeah, it really it was wrong. an easy watch, but that's just because it was well made. It was, and well written, like it's still, it was actually quite harsh in a way. And it had quite a lot of, it was all about conflict. And this one, it's like, they thought, oh, well, let's just make it as breezy and as easy and uh, remove all those sharp edges and smooth them out and have these charisma free non-actors play these roles. I've no hey, so idea we, who they are. One of them I know, the white guy's a rapper of some sort. Yeah,
1: there's, there's a vibe, and it comes in with white men can't jump off, obviously with like, Wesley Snipes, sort of side of it, where, I really like watching, like, like, urban films, where I feel like I am, not the target demographic. Like, when I watch stuff like Friday, or the Friday after yeah. next, you know, and I'm an outsider, and, and and it's almost like the delivery and the way the, the the these people's lives and the delivery and the way they interact with each other is it's kind of it, it, there's like a coolness to it if you know what I mean especially with yeah what was in Snipes is so good with it and, and it's, it's completely the, alien to me it's like the it's com- yeah it's, it's, it's yeah like I'm not like, I'm not a person I don't live that life but like I can you can sit down and watch something like Friday. Um, and it, and I suppose a diluted version of it comes through Will Smith through his films. He always brings that aspect to his films, mm-hmm. um, and it's like unquotable because we're white middle-aged men, effectively. But like that's right. When I the other, the other episode when I watched, um, oh, I'm going to get you, sucker. I wanted mm-hmm. that, and I didn't get it because it was just a it was just an unfunny film, and I think that it, it just seems like that 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 banter. You, not only can you not reproduce it now, it, it it doesn't need to be reproduced. It seems like, what a bizarre... I didn't know they... I can't get past the fact they tried to remake it. I, do you know what I mean? I can't. I just think... It's like if they... I'm trying to think of another example that would hit me the same way. It's like if they said, oh, you know The Big Lebowski, where you're going to remake it. You're like, well, no, you can't because it, it's about a very specific time. Those actors in that time... The yes. actors in their careers doing that role at that time. It, there's so many like levels to it. It doesn't it, it, it it's not going to work. Uh, yeah. and, there, and uh, but then and no, not only that, but with White Man Car Gym, you've got the political side of it, you've got the race side of it. It it doesn't work now. It's no, a product of his time, and that's absolutely fine.
2: Yeah. Uh, just leave it alone. Well I
1: mean it it's it was pretty slaughtered by audience of critics so as as someone who is a sort of um quite knowledgeable fan of kubrick what do you from your knowledge of kubrick and, and your and your enjoyment of this film what is it that you think he why why would this be one of his favorite films can you uh, the same? i'm not sure
2: whether i'm not sure whether he expanded <laughs> on it or not or whether he just listed it in sight and sound or something but uh well it's a very well made film it's a well edited film uh nicely shot nicely lit well acted uh i think maybe and it's got this kind of as in we talking about the original white men can't jump here obviously it has this kind it's,
1: of well stupid
2: <laughs> it has a kind of single mindedness to it it's very uh it's very very focused on these specific characters, I mean, like Woody or or Wesley, they they're in every scene, sort of thing. You know, it's very very focused on that. Um, I don't know, I do because there's nothing, as I say, it's nothing like anything he would have made, but it has got a single-mindedness to it that, uh, and a sense of, I suppose, of Ron Shelton having absolute control over the material. Like it never, nothing in it doesn't ring true, if you see what I mean. They feel like real places that they're in. The people they're interacting with, it it kind of can be, you know, they're larger than life, but they they feel like real characters, you know, on the streets. So yeah, it's just well made, I suppose. That's what it really comes down to. Whereas the remake, of course, has to wheel out ridiculous, oddball characters who don't aren't recognisable from real life and then you know with this guy whipping out a flamethrower and stuff it's like come on
1: with them um, with this this conversation before we go into the arkansas oh sorry before we go into the um uh movie around me Stephen lang and then the arkansas yeah i i didn't watch point break when i was a teenager i watched it in my 30s and right. I I was watching it and the scene where and this is a spoiler so you know, if you don't want to know anything about Gary Boosie, skip ahead a minute to see where Gary Boosie gets shot to death in the airport, like sort of you know on the on the sort of taxiing ground. Mm-hmm. I actually stood up and said no because I wanted him to be around till the end of that. I remember watching it alone and standing going oh no. And and I'm when was the last time that you physically reacted to a movie? <laughs> Physically recoiled in
2: horror. Yeah, um, I can't think of a time when I've actively like taken a stand, <laughs> physically taken a stand to something which has happened in a film. Um, but I'll give it some thought. There must yeah. have been a time when I've when it, I know what you mean it's like a psychosomatic reaction. <laughs> <It> yeah, <must laughs> have been a time. I'll give it but, some uh, thought. Yeah.
1: So if you if you want to let us know of any, it's uh the, the menotalk at that dot com. But yeah, it, it is interesting like, that you you sit there and you watch films and you get affected by them and you cry and you laugh. But I it, I, I remember that very specifically as being the last time I stood up and was distraught because I was loving his character so much. And again, Gary Boosie pushing his personal politics aside is someone in films that you think I wish you were just the lead in more. Like bulletproof is so golden proof. Um, okay we're coming to there may be some edits here because I get a lot of voicemails so we're going to go into the uh, the rhyming movie Stephen Lang section you give your amazing amazing uh, section earlier on so this I believe this is Utah Smith
0: so David why
1: oh no no wait a minute this is. I do apologise. It's a
0: little preview of. of <laughs> yeah. Say David yeah, this is.
1: Yeah, you've got this. I've got the right one now. But yeah, that is that is literally an example of. It's so funny how he tries to say "Wadham" and I wish I could have edited it together. I'm I'm going to keep this in the podcast. I was listening on my bed like really late night and he said, "Okay, so David where <laughs> uh, It's so funny because it's 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 like his body won't allow him to say "numb." Um, anyway, so this is, uh, sorry, I do apologize. This is, uh, Utah Smith's rhyming movie, Stephen Lang.
0: So the other day I uh, jumped in the old Jimmy car and, uh, I was driving down the road and got distracted by a girl with a uh, pretty good Brad Pitts. uh, took the wrong Tina Turner and went, st- drove straight to a Ricky Lake. Luckily I'm out of a good David Schwimmer. Um, and uh, managed to uh, Christian bail out of there. Uh, it's a pain in the Craig Fairbrass, really, because I was on my way to Udo Kia to buy some new Dane Cookway. Um, in the end, I just uh, Christopher Walken home, made myself a Jack Black coffee and a couple of James Cameroons on the side to warm up as I was flipping Stone Cold Steve Austin.
1: <laughs> I love the, I love the pace of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, the pace of the references. <laughs> and, said, da, 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 and there's your registry, and then there's already another one.
0: <laughs> so, the so, yeah, if thank you've got you. any, I
1: might thank have to God. do one because, yeah, thank you, Utah. And thank you, Rupert, for the, the the rhyming movie, Stephen Lang. If you've got any more, send them in as an audio uh, a clip to the at uh, And now we move on to the Arkansas, Rupert. Oh, yes. So, so. I'm going to I'm gonna carry on the, the Utah theme he, He's a keen listener He's probably in his hot tub right now As he listens to this But I just want everyone To really focus <laughs> I might even do this twice <laughs> On his inability To say the word <laughs> Wenham <laughs> I've been
0: laughing at this for like a week Okay I got Okay here we go. So, oh, David, why?
2: <laughs> okay, I do that again.
0: So, David, why? Where, where his name is, is in, um, three hundred with Michael Fassbender who is in an X-Men film, I think, with Rose Byrne, Australian actress, who is in Peter Rabbit 1 and 2 with uh, Dom, 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 Hal Gleeson. I love uh, David's voice. When the boy was born, he was inspected. <laughs>
1: Uh, I, uh, I bet that's so hard. Uh, Tissue in my mouth. And this is his updated version. And again, I believe it's a step fewer, but I really want to draw our listeners' attention to the pronunciation of "Wellham."
0: I got another one. I got another one. Dom Gleason is in about time with Bill Nye. Bill Nye is in Underworld with Kate Beckinsale, who is in Van Helsing with uh, David Wenham, however his last name is. <laughs>
1: it's three, seven. it's the, the inability to say Wenham. It's not like it's a weird Portuguese name. <laughs> Wow, wow. It just It sounds like someone trying to frighten a child as they fall asleep. Uh, so thank you for that, Utah. Specifically, Tom Waits trying to frighten a child as falls <laughs> asleep.
2: Um, okay. I could only manage. I know you've got some two steppers for this one. Really I have. Uh, yeah, we, had, we
1: had a few. Yeah, okay.
2: I'm going with three stepper. I'm sticking with it. Um, Dave, David, Wen- no, David Wenham is in. <laughs> he's in oranges and sunshine with emily watson he's in everest with Kira knightley Using in anna karenina with donald
1: gleason oh let's three step up yeah well i'm gonna read these in the order i've just popped them on my notes so i, I don't sure. know who's you know who's won this what is the overall score between you and the audience by the way i think it's at least 45 nil to me oh nice you're doing well okay well let's see if yeah we can get pretty the well since.
2: it's like it's weird. So, You'd thought they'd have won at least once, but no.
1: Yeah. So don't listen to any previous podcasts, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, so Max says, David, <laughs> you running your finger along a comb. Where <laughs> 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 It's in I'm actually doing the zip up on a sleeping bag really slowly. <laughs> um David uh, I have to start again now. No Wenham no, is in three hundred with Elena Hedy, she's pretty she is, as everyone knows, and she's in Dread with Dominal Gleason, so that's two stepper straight off the bat from Max. And he mentioned Dread, which is one of the greatest action films ever made. Um it we had one from there's cra- no sequel Oh my god, they were talking about TV series I I will dive, dive down Carl Urban's throat and live in his stomach as a futuristic memory of what could have been if I could, but I can't So Transvaal said David well, yeah, and, um, is in all three Lord of the Rings films with Andy Serkis, who is in all three of the latest Star Wars trilogy with Donald Gleason, it's a three-stepper technically wrong he's not in the first he's not in the first lord of
2: the rings film but he is in the other two what a
1: joker what a joker transwell is uh uh, and then I, and a second entry is uh, also David uh, is in Lord of the Rings 2 and 3 with Carlo Urban who is in Dread with Donald Gleason. that's a two-stepper mm-hmm. and then we've got a, an on-time entry from Laszlo Buckets occasional co-host who says good morrow I have a cheeky two-stepper Donald Gleeson was in Dread with Lena Headey who was in 300 with David
0: Warren.
1: so there's a couple of two-steps there so there's a draw so you had a three-step so it's 46 nil now yep which brings, us which brings us to the end of the programme so what, what are you feeling Rupert what, in your heart to what is coming for the next uh, Arkansas?
2: Uh, for the next star, I think we need to go from Aidan Gillen to, wow. uh, well, take your pick, really. Christ, I only know, what was the
1: film you saw him in?
2: Uh, I saw him in Those Who Wish Me Dead. I can think of a I, couple I, of
1: other key films with
2: ensemble casts, so he should be all right with this.
1: Yeah, you got Aidan Gillen, so that's... you got Angelina Jolie, then you've got Blitz with... Uh, what's it called? Jason, uh, Jason Statham, and... What was the other fantastic one? Who was another great Irish actor? In Blitz. Oh. In Blitz. In Blitz. What...
2: Um, have I seen Blitz?
1: You, if you haven't, Rupert, it is, it is uh, astonishing. You really... It's a bloody good film. Uh, I'm thinking of Paddy Considine. So, yeah, you yes. got that in Blitz. But, so, yeah, uh, just a couple of little starters there. I always like to mention a few starters. So, Aidan Gillen, too. I'm just looking at mine. Uh, Christ. bend bending the rules of the Pez outlaw. It's hardly. <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? I, I, I don't feel. I'll tell you what, just because we mentioned him so much, I'm going to say Stephen Lang. Aidan Gillen to Stephen Lang because i feel yeah. like my uh the films i've watched are, are pretty low budget <laughs> so did you know what oh aiden Gillen to stephen lang want to treat williams rupert what are you feeling what hang on
2: so aiden Gillen to stephen lang to treat williams is that what you just
1: said well no aiden Gillen to stephen lang or aiden Gillen to treat oh, williams right, okay um I don't know, I'm too sad to think about Treat
2: Williams. Let's stick with Stephen well, Lang. Let's stick with Stephen Lang, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's doable. Maybe we tr we can we can treat ourselves
1: to treat next time. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, maybe we can get um Laszlo one for a little uh little chat about it. We we <laughs> need to get Laszlo back on, really. We do.
2: Um yeah, I'm gonna watch a treat Williams film now.
1: Okay. Yeah, I substitute two and three. So, uh, usual question, Rupert. What do you what What do you envisage for the next uh, podcast? Uh,
2: well, I've watched a couple of movies um, already. No particular theme or anything, but uh, one of them has been was brilliant, and the other one was deeply disappointing. So, some excitement to be had next time. How about you? Are you gonna watch any uh, more? Strange
1: uh, documentaries. I, I have to watch the end of the one I'm watching now. The um, Okay, okay. I'm not going to tell you, but then, uh, yeah, whatever happens, happens.
2: My film of the week is Under the Gun for me because. Oh, with Richard Norton. That's really cool. Yeah. It was the one I enjoyed the most. I mean, obviously, White Men Can't
1: Jump the original is a great movie, but I suspect most people have seen it. I do you know what in you what you said made me want to watch it again which is which is the best outcome you can have really isn't it it's just to want to enjoy it. so made you want to watch uh, that and not watch the remakes. there you go no it's just ridiculous um with um i think i would my it's a tough one because for me i, I the petters outlaw was really good fun and, it, and as a collector I, I love that passion but how i think is I feel like Howl is due a reevaluation. 2015 British horror film. I feel like Howl is... People are going to look back and think, yeah, they were all second off where. They needed to watch Howl and think, yeah, that, that was the money shot. Yeah.
2: Okay. Thank you so much for your time and, and, and effort.
1: <laughs> this just sounds like an interview that hasn't gone very well.
2: Yeah. I <laughs>
1: It's been quite a long interview. I think I've probably established
2: most of what I can about you. (laughs) About your candidacy. Um, I love
1: you. I have reservations about my feelings for you. (laughs) Okay.
0: Hey, it's Tia Carrere, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys.